So Mark chapter 9, starting reading at verse 14. This is God's word. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And he often has thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Some of you will have heard of the Vineyard Church movement, Vineyard Churches. And the man who founded the Vineyard Churches, a man called John Wimber, started the churches because he he said this. This is his thought behind starting that movement. He asked, when do we get to do the stuff? You know, the stuff here in the Bible, the stuff Jesus did. Healing the sick, raising the dead, healing the blind, stuff like that. He asked, when do we get to do the stuff? And many Christians today might ask or think the same thing. When do we get to do these things that we read about in the Gospels? I'm afraid to tell you, friends, that question is wrong-headed. It might actually be reworded like this. When do I get to be Jesus? When do I get to be Jesus? You see, friends, it's possible for Christians to believe that we don't need Jesus. It's possible for us to think that we are enough. 
that we don't need Jesus. Instead, we can do the things that Jesus did. We can be Jesus. But we do need Jesus. We do need Jesus. In fact, Jesus is exactly what we need. Many Christians and many pastors and elders can very easily develop God complexes. They can think that they are the ones who are responsible for saving the congregation and that the church wouldn't exist without them. In fact, many congregation members can even make their minister feel that way. What we see in Mark chapter 9 is that we are not Jesus. We don't get to be Jesus. Only Jesus can be Jesus. You'll remember how Mark's gospel started. Chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark gets straight to the point in his gospel. He wants us to know who Jesus is and what he came to do. And Mark doesn't waste any time. Jesus is the Son of God. And this gospel is good news because he came to die. One of Mark's favourite words I've said before is immediately. His gospel account is fast-paced. And it's the shortest of the four gospels that we have. The first eight chapters, you'll remember, are spent demonstrating to us who Jesus is. He's the one who has power over all things. And then towards the end of chapter 8, Peter makes his famous confession of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And then, after Peter says that, the gospel seems to change it. It makes a turn. Jesus starts teaching that he must suffer and die. Once he's got the disciples to realise that he is the Messiah, he now needs to teach them what the task of the Messiah is. Glory through suffering. Glory, yes, but first, suffering. In our passage last week, we saw the glory of Jesus, the transfiguration on the mountain. Something was was lifted from the veil of Jesus' humanity. He showed that he's not a, a human Messiah. He is God. In the flesh. Jesus is God. He's no mere man. He is totally and completely unique. On the mountain with Jesus, we saw Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah were there to show us that the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. And so the Old Testament age is over. It's done with. It's past. Jesus is here to begin a new age, the age of the Messiah, the last age, sometimes referred to as the end times. Well, the end times begin with the coming of Christ in the flesh. Now, I'm reminding you of all of this because I think it's important that we have that in focus, who Jesus is and what he came to do. There is no book in the Bible 
that is meant to be read as fragmented pieces here and there. They're put together very deliberately in, in an order and a structure. And so each text in the Bible has a context. It should be read and understood in that context. You might say if you take the text out of context, well then you've got a con. So we need to keep in mind what Mark's doing and where he's going and where he's come from. I would encourage you to have Mark chapter 9 open in front of you today as we look at this passage. I have heard it said recently that you don't need to have three points. One point would do us just fine. Well, today we only have one point. We need Jesus. That's it. That's our point today. In the scene that unfolds in the passage we've read, we find out that Jesus is exactly what is needed. And the reason for that is only Jesus can be Jesus. There are really interesting and and I think helpful parallels to be made between this account in Mark and the account of Moses coming down the mountain in Exodus. Do you remember when Moses comes down the mountain in Exodus 32? There's trouble at the base of the mountain. The people had got fed up waiting for Moses and they decided they could get along just fine without God. And so what did they do? Well, they made idols for themselves from metal. They worshipped a golden calf. Well, what happens when Jesus comes down the mountain in Mark chapter 9? There is trouble at the base of the mountain. The disciples are in all sorts of trouble. Why are they in trouble? Well, it's because they thought they could get along by themselves. Just like their ancestors thousands of years before, they decided to get along without God. In both cases, it didn't work out very well for the disciples or for the Israelites. You can go home and and read what happened in Exodus 32. It's a very bloody scene in church history. In our passage, we see that the disciples, well, they can't get along without Jesus. Jesus is what they need. Jesus is who they need. And the reason for that is only Jesus can be Jesus. The disciples are arguing with the teachers of the law. And neither of those groups, the disciples or the teachers of the law, seem to understand the necessity of being with Jesus. As is often the case, the crowd are the ones who do seem to get it. As soon as they see Jesus, the crowd are overwhelmed with wonder and they run to Jesus. It's so interesting to me that we can learn so much more from the example of the crowd than we can from the example of the disciples. Because if only Jesus can be Jesus, then he's the one we need to run to. The religious leaders, well, they wanted to reject Jesus altogether. And the disciples were beginning to think, we can get along just fine without Jesus. We've learned all that we need to know. We can get along without him at this stage. But what do the crowd teach us? Well, the crowd teach us that we need Jesus. We need to run to him, just like the crowd did. And so this scene unfolds before us. Jesus asks what the argument is about, and neither the disciples nor the teachers of the law answer him. The answer comes from the crowd. 
a man speaks up. You can see it in verses 17 and 18. He says, teacher, I brought you my son who has a deaf and mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Straight away, he sells out the disciples. I brought my son to you, but you weren't here, Jesus. You were on the mountain and your disciples, well, they thought they could do it. I asked them, but they couldn't. I think I want to say two things in passing before we uh, look uh, at the, the healing of this boy. The first thing is this. It might read to many people like this boy is suffering from epilepsy. And that is how this passage has been interpreted in the past. But we should be very careful there. We shouldn't equate medical conditions and demonic possession. There are physical healing miracles and there are casting out of demons in Mark's gospel. This is told to us to be explicitly demonic. And so I think we should give Mark, uh, as the inspired writer of this passage, the benefit of the doubt. I think we should assume that he knows the difference between a medical condition and demonic possession. So much damage can be and has been caused by people claiming someone is demon possessed when that's not the case. I've seen that happen. We should be very cautious. Yes, we need to be aware of the presence of demonic powers in this world, but I don't think we should be running around claiming every illness or even every hardness of heart, is demonic possession. I think it would be wise for any of us if we genuinely suspect demonic possession, which I have to say is extremely rare. Well, that's something that we should go and speak to the elders of the church about. It's not something we should try and take on ourselves. Why not? Because we are not Jesus. The second thing I want to say is that the disciples had cast out demons before. You might want to flick back to Mark chapter 6. It's probably a couple of pages back in your Bibles. In Mark chapter 6 verse 13, we're told that the disciples cast out demons. They have done it before. But if you look a few lines above that in verse 7, you can read that they were able to do it because Jesus had given them authority. And so again, we see we need Jesus. Let's back to, to Mark 9. Let's move on. I want you to see the compassion of Jesus as he deals with this situation. He asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? How long has this been happening to him? And you can just hear the tenderness and the compassion in the voice of Jesus as he asks that question. And then we can hear desperation and we can hear helplessness in the father from childhood. And often he has thrown him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, says the father, if. 
We have to remember this man has not been with Jesus's whole ministry. He's not heard the disciples say that Jesus is the Messiah. He was not on the mountain to see the veil pulled back and the divinity of Jesus revealed. He believes that Jesus is willing to help. But he's so desperate and he just doesn't know if Jesus is able to help. Well, of course, we know we've been with Jesus in this gospel. We know that Jesus is the only one who's able because Jesus is God. He has all authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. If you can, says the man, of course Jesus can. He's Jesus. He is exactly what this man and what his son need. Jesus' response here, I think, can be misunderstood. He says this, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, that doesn't mean that if only we have enough faith, then we will be healed of all sickness. That's not what Jesus is saying. Paul, in the New Testament, is a great example of faith. And he wasn't healed of the thorn in his flesh. Jesus himself prayed for the cup of suffering to pass from him, and yet he still submitted to the will of the Father. So what does this mean? All things are possible. The most helpful explanation I can give comes in the words of a Welsh Presbyterian minister, Derek Thomas. Thomas says this, It means that it is possible for me to care for a boy who is possessed by an evil spirit and take the losses and crosses that come with it. It means to speak like Job in a time of bereavement and loss and say the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That everything that God can ask of me, whatever duty, whatever command, It is possible for me, if I believe, to bear any burden, to cross any river, to endure any pain, to suffer any loss, to pass through any shame. Everything is possible to him who believes. You see, friends, when we have Jesus, we we can, as Paul says in Philippians, face all circumstances with contentment. Good things and bad things. We know how to be hungry and we know how to abound. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so we see this miracle. Jesus casts the demon out. And it's what we've just learned in the transfiguration. Jesus is God and so he has authority. He has authority over these spiritual powers. He says a word and the demon comes out. Jesus lifts the boy to his feet. But that's not before the father's uh, utters one of the, the great prayers of the New Testament. I love this prear of the father. See what he says? 
He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Very brief prayer. And in it, this man confesses his absolute and total dependence on Jesus. And on Jesus alone. Jesus is exactly what this man needs. Because only Jesus can be Jesus. And so friends, I want you to know that it is entirely possible for a Christian to experience doubt. I want you to know that this prayer is a prayer for all of us. The fact that in his doubt, in his unbelief, this man turns to Jesus, well, it demonstrates faith. Where does he look for help with his unbelief? He looks to Christ. I've said this before. It's not the size of our faith that matters. It's the object of our faith that matters. Listen to how the Westminster Confession of Faith describes the the mixture of belief and doubt in the Christian. It says that faith is different in degrees, weak and strong. It may often and in many ways be assailed and weakened, but it gets the victory. Growing up to many, to the, in, in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who has bought both the author and finisher of our faith. Friends, in your moments of doubt, and we all have them, do not give up trusting in Christ. Instead, turn more to Jesus. Depend on him all the more in prayer. Pray this, the prayer of this desperate father, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so we've come to the end of our passage, verse 28. The disciples and Jesus retreat into this private home. And the question inevitably comes, why could we not cast it out? Jesus' answer summarizes the passage for us, I think, very nicely. Jesus says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Try to do it yourself and it won't work. Instead, depend on me, says Jesus. You need me, says Jesus. And today, we need Jesus just as much as the disciples, probably even more. Why do we need Jesus? Because only Jesus can be Jesus. You know how America has a declaration of independence? Well, friends, prayer is ultimately for us a declaration of dependence. When we turn to God in prayer, we're saying, We can't live without him. We're like the crowd running to Jesus. In this passage, each of the characters have it all to gain by giving up their independence and confessing their need of Jesus. The disciples, well, they can't cast the demon out. And Jesus rebukes them. Verse 19, O faithless generation. They need Jesus. They need prayer and fasting they need to come to Christ 
the father, well, well, he has to lean on Jesus in his belief and in his unbelief. This child, this little boy, well, he's the most dependent on Christ, isn't he? He is figuratively, but I think nonetheless, really brought from death to life by Jesus. And the boy, the boy does nothing. He is totally dependent on Christ. So friends, we need Jesus. We need Jesus because only Jesus can be Jesus. We need to pray to him. We need to ask for his help whenever we are struggling in life. In the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Paul tells Christians to put on the armour of God. And the reason he says to do so is because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And too often in this life, we can become convinced that it's his fault or it's her fault or it's my fault. We can wrestle against flesh and blood, but that is not our battle. And Satan is only too happy when we are distracted battling other people because then we're not battling him. I do think we need to be cautious when we think about demonic forces and powers. We shouldn't become obsessed, but neither should we be unconcerned. Both those extremes are unhelpful. What do you know about the Satan? What do you know about the demonic forces in this world? Hollywood movies probably teach a lot of us what we think we know. Renaissance painting is another area where we probably get our information. Friends, can I encourage you instead to look at the Bible? To quote a Hollywood movie, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And so on one side we can be over uh, concerned and on the other side we can be unconcerned. So where do we meet? What do we do? We need to realise that Jesus has all authority against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So neither fear nor apathy are what's required. Prayer is what's required. Prayer. And there's a challenge then for all of us here. What's your prayer life like? It's a challenge to me. Does it demonstrate a total and complete dependence on Jesus? Or are you thinking, I can get through this Christian life on my own? Are you thinking like the disciples, I don't need Jesus? Midweek is back on Tuesday. We will be praying. I would love to see you there. We gather here on a Sunday to, to pray. We, we do pray here on a Sunday. We bring praise and petition to God each Lord's Day. I would also love to see you at midweek. That there you would bring extra, more prayers to God. And then, of course, you should be praying to God each day on your own and with your family. We need to declare our dependence. We need Jesus. We need him for all of the Christian life from start to eternity. We never, ever graduate. We need Jesus. 
because only Jesus can be Jesus. We can't. Let's declare our dependence on him now by coming before him in prayer. Let's pray.